Greetings, YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. It's Mr. Palumbo, and welcome to the Professor Liberty Podcast, a place where we strive to let freedom ring from sea to shining sea. You know, at the end of every show, I make the statement to go throughout the land and proclaim liberty. Does anyone know where that statement comes from? It's on the Liberty Bell, which is in Philadelphia. Do you know where the bell got it from? Here, here, come closer. I have to whisper it, come closer. I don't want to cause anybody any offense. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Shh. It came from the Bible. Whew. Okay, well, man, that was close. Let me let me let me let me look around here. Okay, nobody heard that. All right, I might get into trouble. You know, the CIA, the FBI, they might come for me without a warrant to take me away. Such is today in America. How's everyone doing? Well, it's Friday, and we're continuing our series on the first Americans. Today, we're going to discuss the Sioux and the Comanche. So if you're paying attention, you might notice that geographically we are moving east to west. We started the show with the Iroquois, which is in the northeast. Think New England. Then we did the Cherokee, who are located on the east coast and the southeast. And today we're moving into the Great Plains. So that's the Dakotas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, and so on. I have to confess, the Plains Indians are my favorite. Maybe it's all them John Wayne movies I watched when I was a kid, and you know, other great movies like Dances with Wolves. But whatever the case, I find the Plains Indians fascinating. Don't forget, it was also the Plains Indians that constituted the opposing forces against the U.S. cavalry in what became known as the Indian Wars, or the Plains Indian Wars, in the late 19th century, from about 1860 to 1890. So there's definitely some romanticism going on when you think of a Plains Indian on his horse chasing the buffalo. And from all accounts I've read, the Plains Indians were expert horsemen. Did you know that before the repeating rifle appeared on the scene, the Plains natives held their own against white encroachment, mainly because of their mastery of horse riding and their precise aim with their bows and arrows? It is said that an Indian warrior could get off three deadly arrow strikes for every one musket shot. They did this with no bridle, mind you. They used their legs to remain on the horse as they got off three deadly shots. Again, it wasn't until the whites possessed the repeating rifle, like the Henry rifle, for example, that the tide began to turn. This is especially true when talking about the Comanche, which we will get into a little bit later. There's something, that image, at least for me, of the Plains Indians on his horse. What is it? I don't know. Is it freedom? Self-reliance? Courage? Being one with the, with the land? I don't know what it is, but I've always admired it. It's very similar to the Alaskan natives who hunt whales in their little canoes. There's something special about how these people lived, especially for us urbanites, who have never had to kill an animal for our survival, or make shelter, or clothes. So let's first start with the Sioux Indians, to be more specific, the Sioux Nation. 
The Sioux Nation was comprised of the Lakota, the Dakota, and the Nakota. The word Sioux comes from an old native word meaning snake or enemy. However, the Lakota and Dakota meant friendly or ally. Being nomads, the Sioux were expert horsemen who lived in shelters known as teepees, which allowed them to move around quickly. From the accounts I could find, most say that the Sioux were feared and respected among the neighboring native tribes. Though the Sioux were known as great warriors, the family is considered central to Sioux life. Children were called Wakanasha, which meant sacred and were center of attention. While monogamy was most practiced, Indian men were allowed to take more than one wife. However, infidelity was punished by disfigurement. Now, I don't know what that means, but I think we could use our imaginations. The roles of men and women were clearly defined, with the men expected to provide for and defend the family. Hunting was taken very seriously and infraction of hunting rules could lead to the destruction of a man's teepee or other property. Women were the matriarchs, ruling the family and domestic lives of the tribe. The Sioux were deeply spiritual people, believing in an all-one pervasive God, Wakan Tanka, or Great Mystery. Religious visions were cultivated and the people communicated with the spirit world through music and dance. War and battle were another underlying principle of the Sioux people because through it men gained prestige and their prestige was reflected in family honor. As noted earlier, the Sioux tribe lived in tent-like homes called teepees. The teepee was constructed of wooden poles that were covered with a durable animal skin such as buffalo hides. It was a pyramid shaped with flaps and openings and tapered to a smoke hole on the top. Most teepees were about 12 to 16 feet in diameter at the base. This type of shelter suited the nomadic lifestyle for the Sioux tribe. A teepee was quick to erect and easy to dismantle the Sioux village could be ready to move within an hour. The Sioux were very dependent on buffalo herds of the Great Plains, which at one point numbered anywhere from 50 to 100 million, one of the largest masses of land mammals ever to exist on Earth. The Sioux used every part of the buffalo. They made clothes, bedding, and other materials from the buffalo hide. They made jerky from buffalo meat, which was easy to carry and lasted a long time. From the bones, the Sioux would make knives and other tools. They used buffalo hair as rope. They even used buffalo poo as fuel. It would burn without much smoke, and since it was dried out, it didn't smell. I'm sure it didn't smell anything like a fresh batch would. Some of the more recognizable Native American figures came from the Sioux. For example, Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, and Red Cloud were all Sioux Indians. Regarding the lasting impact of the Sioux on the United States, Indians.org writes, Despite the hardships that the Sioux Indian tribe went through, they still left their mark in the United States geography. The names South Dakota, North Dakota, were more directly derived from the Sioux Indian tribe, Sioux Falls, Sioux City, the Little Sioux River, 
the Big Sioux River, were all named after the Sioux Indian tribe. This doesn't even include names that were derived from the language of the Sioux Indian tribe, unquote. Okay, let's move on to the Comanche. The Comanche originated from the Shoshone tribe, which lived in the Wyoming area. At one point, they held a vast territory ranging from Colorado to northern Mexico. Their origins of their name is unknown. Some Spanish accounts claim that their name comes from the Ute word for enemy or one who fights all the time. The horse was central to the Comanche people, and they were expert riders. The Comanche had an extensive horse-based economy where buying, selling, trading, and even stealing other horses was common. A popular tactic among the Comanche against intruders, especially the whites, was to sneak up on a group's camp and steal the horses. A person without a horse in the middle of the prairie was as good as dead. It's interesting that it seems the introduction of the horse in the 17th century completely transformed this nomadic hunter and gatherer people into a dominant military force. Writing for grunge.com, Jeffrey Somers writes, The Spanish introduced the animals to the Comanche, but the Indians demonstrated an understanding of both how to master these incredible animals and how to translate that mastery into military force. Over the course of the next century, the weak hunter-gatherers of the Comanche nation transformed into a dominant, aggressive empire of warriors. And it was all due to their experience in breaking, training, riding, and fighting with horses. The horse was the super weapon of the 18th and 19th century, and the Comanche used it to conquer most of the neighboring tribes, unquote. Some historians have compared the Comanche horsemanship to that of the Assyrian mounted horsemen of thousands and thousands of years earlier which I can see that similarity. And it says something about the efficacy of their war making because they were able to stem the tide of white encroachment into their lands for several decades. Again, it wasn't until the new technologies and firepower gave the whites the upper hand. The Comanche's greatest adversary was the Apache, but the Comanche were very disliked among many of the other tribes, such as the Kiowa, and the Wichita. One of the main reasons the U.S. Cavalry had no trouble finding Indian scouts to help them track down Comanche, it was because of the hatred and the animosity other tribes felt towards the Comanche. The Comanche's power peaked in about 1840 when they conducted a large-scale raid into hundreds of miles into Mexico proper while also warring against the Anglo-Americans and the Tejanos who had settled in independent Texas. Their power declined as epidemics of cholera and smallpox inflicted several casualties on their population. And it was continuous pressure from the expanding population of the United States forced them to cede most of their tribal lands. The most famous Comanche was Quana Parker. He was the son of a white woman who was kidnapped by the Comanche, and one of the Comanche's last great warriors. Jeffrey Somers writes, As a youthful warrior, 
Kawana was the epitome of Comanche bravery and fierceness. Remarkably young for a chief, Kawana led a series of violent raids against American forces in 1871, when he was just 19 years old. However, like all the Indian Wars, it was a battle of attrition, and Kawana finally agreed to move to the reservation and encouraged his people to lay down their arms and do the same. Kawana became something of a celebrity and even hosted future President Theodore Roosevelt at his home in Oklahoma. And he also participated in Roosevelt's inauguration parade in 1905. The book Empire of the Summer Moon talks about all this stuff. It's a great book. If you're interested, I please recommend you to check it out. So there you have it, folks. The Sioux and the Comanche two of the Great Plains Indians tribes. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying these uh, small little looks into the Native Americans, the first Americans. Uh, We owe so much to them, and I hope you guys are uh, really getting something out of these uh, episodes. Got some interesting stuff uh, ready for next week. I hope you guys tune in Monday. There will be a fresh new episode. So until next time, here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you'd like to message the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Please send me all your government, economics, and history questions there. You can also follow me on Facebook and Parlor. Just search Professor Liberty. Until next time, boys and girls, go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.